Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. I am Mikey. Hi, Mikey. How are you? I'm fine. I was ending last week's episode, and we had pretty low energy, which I think accounts for both the state of the world and last week's episode was not yeah, very good. That's true. So, And it was very much like, usually we kind of are like, oh, it's excited for this. And I feel like last week we just... yeah. We were doing it felt it so like that, a bit of a chore. Yeah, so I guess it was kind of the perfect episode for that. Like, yeah. there wasn't much to talk about. I will it say this not, just, yeah. does not bode well well for the dregs of season two and our show. But yeah, but the difference is, the last episode, like, there's going to be shit to talk about in the. Oh, uh, that's like, a good point. It's just straight up and down, nothing happened. The last yeah, episode. like it was just a dumb episode. Yeah, or, you know, whatever. whatever. Okay, so. We are on to episode 12, or season 2, episode 5, uh, and it's called The Orchid's Curse. Real subtle name, as usual. Um, and it was written by Barry Pullman, mm-hmm. directed by Graham Clifford. Graham Clifford. Graham? Is that how he's... Yeah, it's, you know? it's, like a, it's like an English way of spelling I was going to say it Graham. looks kind of... Um, it, uh, yeah, Graham Irish. is... Kind of. I'm look up the origins. Go um, Graham Clifford. Oh, it's a short name of Grantham. Okay, is the director of one of my favorite movies. Um, but a lot of people have either never seen it or think it's dumb. But are you going to see Gleaming the Cube? It is absolutely oh, Gleaming the Cube. No. Graham Clifford oh, directed no. Gleaming the Cube, and that movie is amazing. Um. I believe it's still on Amazon Prime if anyone wants Don't. to do themselves a it's favor. It's not. Um, starring a young Christian Slater, a young Tony Hawk, Stephen Bauer, isn't it, from Scarface? Um, it's fantastic. I love that movie. Um, fantastic is generous. You're right. It's perfect. It's, it's perfect is the right word. Gleaming the Cube is fantastic. Oh, boy. And he has, oh, nothing else of note on his IMDb. He did a lot of TV early on. A lot of TV movies. Directed yeah. two seasons of Joan of Arcadia, which I believe stars Russ Tamlin's daughter, Amber Tamlin. Oh. I think. Nailed it. I mean, if I... More importantly, let's just stick with Gleaming the Cube, because... Okay, Michael, you have... I'm going to give you 30 seconds to say everything you want about Gleaming the Cube starting... That is impossible. Now, go. No, that's impossible. Okay. Well, then we're just going to say it quietly. It's... Okay. Gleaming the Cube is a story about Christian Slater's character who's a young punk skateboarder, and he's got an adopted Vietnamese brother who gets murdered and the guys who murder him stage that it's a suicide and he was like it's not a suicide my brother would never do that and nobody believes him because he's a punk skateboarder you have five seconds and it's awesome <laughs> it's so good is that the one we watched with the young um seth green with long chin length hair <laughs> no that is airborne that's the rollerblading movie uh what's the bmx one rad okay <laughs> Rad is Rad or um, BMX Bandits, but Rad. No, is we watched Rad. We didn't watch BMX Bandits. You? Where did we watch Rad? You watched Rad? Yeah, because I think they did an episode of it and had this. But guy. I don't think we watched it. It's really hard to find. until just recently they oh. just re-released it on. Oh, they maybe got a new maybe 4K then I'm just thinking of It's the, just really hard the, to find the rollerblading one. Then okay, so we haven't seen it. Uh, Which I'm totally it. gonna buy Rad because they just remastered I it and re-released it. Is it on Blu-ray? No, it's not on Blu-ray yet. Yet. But it will be. They just remastered now, it is on it, 4K and you can get... Now, is it one of the movies this year that got accepted into the Criterion Collection? Or um, is <laughs> I that... I wish. 
That would be amazing. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay. They desperately need to do a retransfer of Gleaming the Cube, though. Oh, desperately. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Fuck this disease. The world is clamoring for <laughs> it. Fuck COVID. Everybody redirect your efforts to retransferring Gleaming the Cube. Uh, connection also not only directed by Graham Clifford, who directed an episode of Twin Peaks, but also Max Perlick, uh, who is in season three of Twin Peaks. So another connection. So sure, yeah. get on it, Twin Peaks fans. You know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Get it, get it a new Blu-ray release. Because okay. I still only have it on DVD, which is incredibly rare. <sighs> I spent too much for it. You brag about the weirdest shit. Did you know that? You're just jealous. I'm not. Because I because we're married, I legally also own Gleam in the Cube. You, you own nothing. And, <laughs> we should watch You Don't Know Me tonight. That's what we should do. Okay. Because I was just thinking about how you randomly bought Showgirls on Blu-ray, and you made it's that not, decision it's not random. for our family. The movie's amazing. You didn't even consult me about it. The movie's amazing. It's a Paul Verhoeven classic. <sighs> yeah, yeah. And another connection, because... Tom McLaughlin was in that. So let's talk about Twin Peaks, shall yeah. we? Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start with this the, first uh, Log yeah. Lady intro is. This one's bizarre. Deeply wild. But I love it. Yes, I think. Let's read it and then see if. Yeah, she also goes through it pretty quickly. Yes, she does read it quite and it's quickly. It's very short. Yes. Um, sometimes nature plays tricks on us and we imagine we are something other than what we truly are. Is this a key to life in general or. Or the case of the two-headed schizophrenic. Both heads thought the other was following itself. Finally, when one head wasn't looking, the the other shot the other right between the eyes and, of course, killed himself. That's it. That's the end. Also, what I notice about this, what I love, is she always does everything straight to camera. There's a really, really harsh shadow yeah, you pointed on this out. one where it almost looks like a second figure. Which I just thought was interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this is um pretty wild. I, I, I cannot I, find a parallel. I, I don't know what the yeah, I don't know what the connection is to this particular episode. Because I'm not finally when one head wasn't so I feel like the moral is supposed to be like like couldn't your nose despite your face. Like you can't if you do harm to part of your being it's going to come back to you i mean is, i wonder if this is just a jab at the critic because in the next episode is when we find out who killed laura palmer mm. so they're already kind of setting up that stuff like i'm wondering if this is just a jab at the studio execs who made them oh i see you know what no, i mean I like if be. you if you take this thing away right that pe- the mystery is what people love mm-hmm if you take that mystery away, you kill the show. But sure. the, everyone wants to know. I mean, I guess it could be that, but it just seems weird to be on this episode. Yeah, it's it's very uh, odd, and I, I kind of. But wanna, this is a great episode. It's I very love good, this and I kind of want to chalk it up to just like Lynch had a weird sure. thought about like, oh my god, what if you yeah, know, what, what if conjoined I, twins put it on this episode? Yeah. Okay, so we start with, uh, we're in the Great Northern. Cooper turns off his alarm and tell, uh, pulls up his recorder, which I cannot imagine, like, the first thing I do in the morning is, like, record my thoughts, because all my thoughts would be like, I'm going to go back to bed, yeah. bye. I, this, it always reminds me of, I took, so I went to Columbia College for film. Mm-hmm. Brag. <laughs> I didn't finish, so... <laughs> It's not much of a Didn't brag. like one cinematographer graduate from there and he's on billboards all over Chicago? Uh, no, I mean, they. Janusz Kaminski went there, who's oh. basically Spielberg's Spielberg cinematographer. Said. He does a lot of Spielberg work. Yeah. He's done other stuff. He's directed, but. 
And people uh, have said that you're a young Jan Schmitty. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You know, my my mom's maiden name is Kusinski, so that might be what you're thinking so... of. You probably are just assuming he looks Polish. <laughs> uh, anyway. That's cute that you think I've ever seen this man's face. The um, I had you took a, a class. I took a class. It was it was idea de- it was the the whole title of the class was like idea development for film and video. Um, yeah, I don't but know it was why conservatives like make fun of college. The first it seems class like really good you stuff. had to take for any film discipline. So if you wanted to be a director, cinematographer, Mm -hmm. whatever it was, the first class you had to take for any film studies was idea development, which didn't quite make sense to me because at the time I wanted to be a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. I don't need to come up with the ideas. That was weird. But one of the things they told you was to keep a dream journal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And like, you know, a lot of your inspiration comes from dreams and all that's great. I have remembered four, maybe five dreams in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I don't remember them. Uh, I wait and there, and then, and I told my teacher this, I was like, yeah, I, I don't. And he's like, but just, if you wake up in the morning, write it down immediately. If, if, as the day goes on, that's when you forget. And I was like, no, no, no. I wake up. If my eyes are open, I don't remember the dream. Um, and he just didn't believe me. So, I used to take the train in with my friend Chris <laughs> and every day before that class I would sit down on the train next to my buddy Chris and be like hey what'd you dream about yesterday and just write down his dreams <laughs> and then like occasionally like like stick in things from my day that made it more relatable to me uh-huh. somehow but essentially I had to and then I would turn them in or whatever, like, as part of it's whatever. Really you have to turn them I didn't, in. Well, I didn't turn them in, but it was like he would go over, like, what? We would talk about him. And sure. he's like, but he would tell me, like, see, if you write them down right away. And meanwhile, like, I'm just trying to explain that, like, I'm st- I'm literally stealing dreams <laughs> to pass my class. And it's insane. Um, but anyway, it reminded me of that story. Yes. So. Uh, yeah. So Cooper immediately starts chatting with Diane. Um, he tells her that she, that he dreamt he was eating a large, tasteless gumdrop, only to discover he was chewing on one of his earplugs. Um, hence the tastelessness. Hence the tastelessness. He says that um, his ribs are still bothering him, so he's going to do 15 minutes of yoga. Great little tidbit. Yeah. Because there was two or three episodes in there where people start going, he's not even reacting to the fact that he was shot three days ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? They kind of just forgot. Oh, okay. At least acknowledge it. <coughs> right. Make him superhuman to some extent and <coughs> move past it, but acknowledge that, you know, yeah, he's just was shot. Yeah. So he says he's going to do a headstand, um, and he does a thing that I hella can't do. Like, I'm a decent yogi. The thing he... Well, maybe I could do it against a wall. But he kicks up into a handstand and then lowers onto his head, which yeah. is... You also... All of that is out of frame. Oh, that's true. So who knows who's standing on the bed <laughs> holding, holding his, his feet or doing whatever yeah. to make sure he doesn't wobble too much in the shot. Like, yeah. there's a million. There's a... There's... I, there, I would almost guarantee there's a PA holding his feet. <laughs> their dream um so as he's upside down he sees under his bed and it's it's a great description too where he talks about like the world the day is coming into focus like Mm -hmm. i'm 
and then as you're seeing that you're seeing come into focus mm-hmm. what he's seeing which is underneath the bed where he sees the, the note, note from from audrey from audrey um so that's how he knows Audrey's out one-eyed jacks. Um, then we uh, we kick over to the station house where Hawk reports to Harry that two retired school teachers live next door to the Palmer's old place. So remember, Hawk was on the lookout for this Robinson, Robinson, Robertson, Robertson, Robertson person Pine that Lake, Leland remembers, yeah. who we know is Bob um, Pearl Lake. Sorry, yeah, idiot. Um, and he found out two retired school teachers live next door to the Palmer's old place. They have no memory of a gray-haired man living next door. Um, so we're starting to understand. Oops, sorry, I kicked you. We're starting to understand that, uh, you know, Leland's memory is not all that he thinks it is. Um, or s- something is fishy. Something's fishy. I mean, it. I mean, it might not be Leland's memory. It might be something else or these women are in on it or sure. it doesn't necessarily there's no i don't think there's a direct implication mm-hmm. from finding out that information right um lucy then ter- tells harry that she'll be visiting her sister and new nephew for two days really frantically this is a great moment for yeah her. this was i mean god what has lucy done wrong in this show yeah <laughs> literally it, nothing. it really is excuse me sheriff i just wanted to say goodbye because as you know, I'm going down to Tacoma for two days to visit my sister Gwen and her husband Larry, who had a baby last week. Right. That is, Gwen had the baby. Larry's the father. You remember it was a boy? Anyway, as soon as the can-do temp girl gets here, I'll explain the phones and the coffee and the Lucy, intercom. it's and okay. The wagon. You got it covered. No, she should have been here by now. I can stay and at least show Lucy. her... The- don't worry. Just go. Like, but it's, you know, knowing the stakes of what it turns out she's doing later. Yes. This is a great interaction. And and Sheriff Truman also being the sweetest. Uh-huh. Just, it's Lucy, it's fine. Go. Because she said, we know about this. The temp person is supposed to be here. Yeah. She's not here yet. I can stay. I can wait. He's like, no, no, no. Well, it's fine. Don't worry. We'll take care of it. Meanwhile, um, they, <laughs> you find out later, they put Andy on who has no idea what he's doing. Oh but anyway, God bless his it's heart. fine. Um, Cooper then comes in. He tells Harry that he knows where Audrey is. This was kind of fun because it was, um, he's like pushing Lucy out the door. Mm -hmm. And there's a shot that you can see Cooper. It's double doors. Mm -hmm. So you can see Cooper. The second one sticks. The second one sticks. (laughs) Um, And you can see Cooper framed within the second door. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a cool shot. It was a a really well thought out Mm -hmm. shot. Um, And And he's just, he was was walking in and then he stops to just hold hold the door door. for Lucy. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Cooper tells Harry he knows where Audrey is. Um, now we are over to... Okay, so we're over to Shelly and Leo's house. So Leo is... I don't know if comatose is... He's yeah. a vegetable. They they keep referring to him as a vegetable. but yeah. So he's not in a coma, but he's very low functioning. Right. It sounds like he can breathe on his own yeah. and he doesn't need to be aided but he's like his medulla album gotta work and nothing aware. else yeah. like his, he's not he's fully aware his of heart. his surroundings yeah, yeah. Um, minimal brain activity so we have tom pinkle who is played by character oh i don't know the character the actor's name i just know him as he's, lenny or squiggy yeah squiggy. he not michael mckeon not yeah the one who's not uh, um, he comes and he comes in later in this series as well and I'm pretty sure he was one of the main guys in that short-lived David Lynch, Mark Frost TV show 
after this, the on the air show. Uh-huh. I think David L. A- Lander is the actor's name. What is it? David L. Lander. Okay. Um, and he... Uh, Squiggy. Yes. Okay. I got that one right. Um, so so he is... Uh, nice bit of little like, physical comedy here. He shows a... Um, like one of those chairs that... Mm-hmm. A lift for chairs that... Like I've definitely used shit like that because I work with special needs It'll kids. It'll put them out of the bed or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Mo- helps them move to the bed, to the, to the chair, etc. Um, so he explains the uh, to Bobby and Shelly the workings of a harness to move a man from the bed to the chair. Um, Shelly says that the hearing for Leo was today, um, and they walk outside to like go fuck, and they leave poor Squiggy. And I don't know what function this chair holds that it just swings him back and forth. I, that doesn't feel like a great function. There was a. Th- I feel like it was something I read a long time ago, and I don't remember, but I. F- feel like this was another one of those things where it it broke the thing actually broke oh and something weird happened and then they went with it oh interesting but i i'd have to look that up and i should have done that before this idiot yeah but i feel like that was a thing i remember hearing so i don't want to speak out of turn but we can we can, if we can find information on it or something but uh what i'm surprised about is that you're glossing over the super funkin' sketchy moment in this scene. Am I glossing over it or do I not remember it? Uh, if you don't remember it, it's because you legitimately made an effort to block it out. Oh, okay. What was it? He, they're, he's setting up the device and he's, oh, it, fuck and it's not working me. and he's like, pound the oh, sometimes you gotta, uh, the button sticks and you gotta, oh, you sometimes, sometimes you just gotta hit it really hard. It's kind of like a woman like that. That's a new wrinkle. Or whatever he says, some whatever it is, he makes the You're assessment that you have to. It's like a woman; you have to hit it really hard to get it to do what you want. And and nobody fucking reacts. Everyone's like, "Ha!" Classic squiggy humor. Especially Shelly, who is a battered woman. Who like yeah, and like is. The person she's bringing back into her home yeah. to sit in this device is the culprit. Like, yeah, not, it's so... And he said that, and I looked at Mikey, and I have never seen anybody avoid eye contact I, with me yeah. so hard. He just, it's, like, stared it, at the TV. The thing <laughs> about it is I almost wonder if that was in the script but supposed to be a moment. Oh, He was supposed to, to say something like that. And, and Shelly was supposed to react. to react. Yeah. And director didn't pick it up or whatever it was, and they just used it as a passing joke line. Ooh, so funny, though. Well, I... Classic comedy. I just, it's so... I mean, the 90s wasn't that long ago. I don't... Like, it I mean, just seems... 30 years ago. It's one It's one thing with, like, the why I oughta style. Like, Is but, that even funny? No, it's okay. not. But I get why people thought it was yeah. back in the 50s or whatever. Abusing women is hilarious. But it's also not explicit. It's it's why I oughta and oh who knows it's a little it's a little more vague. Okay. This is he legitimately says it's like a woman you have to hit it really hard. Yeah. That's yeah. fucked up. The world is a fun place for women. I don't know what your problem is. 
It's fucked. Yes, it and, is absolutely and it, fucked. And it, and it and it it's surprising that it's just glossed over yes, to me. Yes, agree. I I almost I I wonder if it should have been a bit and it was missed, or if it was really just, or if it was improvised. I was, that was what I was about to or suggest. Or if it was, it, if it was just glossed over because it was a silly yeah. joke, and I I don't know. Yeah. Okay, then we move to what is supposed to be a courtroom, but is in fact the roadhouse. I love that. Um, what I love about it is that it's one of those bars where you throw peanuts on the floor and then they <laughs> and like they just sweep a line up the middle. <laughs> yes, so good. Like I just love it. Like it's they don't have a courthouse except for they have like a town hall because in the first episode they have like a town hall meeting. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I, I mean, think maybe there's some was, holes in but maybe it was being used for a wedding like maybe you know what i mean it's just like a general i would assembly totally get hall, married so. in the roadhouse that would be dope yeah yeah okay um so judge uh sternwood holds court mm-hmm. um the da uh so they're talking about but they also they film that first scene on location in the pilot oh yeah and they are at the point where they're just reusing sets at this point yeah so um so the DA says that... So they're deciding whether or not Leland should be um, bailed out or not. So the DA urges that Leland be held without bail, um, citing the fact that he... Uh, it was, like, with forethought and all of this shit. And then... The heinousness of the Yeah, crime. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then Harry is like, or, and hear me out, he's a rich white guy, so he's not <laughs> a danger to anybody. And the judge is like, good point, Harry. We'll let him out. Yeah, I mean... In a way, that is, like, you're being facetious or whatever. I, but like, I want to be clear. Not being facetious. Okay. Like, right. that's very... I mean, I mean, it's just... That's how we treat rich people mm-hmm. and white people, primarily. You know, like, rich sure, white he people, murdered a man like, in cold blood while he was defenseless. Yeah. But, like, who but among us, you know? his daughter. Yeah. He thought he killed his... And, like, that's the thing, too, is that, like, he was arrested on suspicion. Like, he wasn't convicted. Yeah. It, he confessed, though. No, I mean Jacques. Like oh 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 yeah yes 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 yes. Like he was arrested on suspicion, and he just uh, someone was arrested. I'm gonna kill him because yeah. he did it. Like, yeah. How's this wine treating you, Mikey? I don't know. I haven't sipped it yet. I just we just um, to sort of peek behind the curtains. We did break for dinner um, at the beginning before this segment, and we had not to brag. We had Hooters wings. Um, and really, this is my first sip of wine after dinner, and it does not blend well with the aftertaste of wings and fried pickles. So, oh, was that? Mm-hmm. I thought you meant the wine was bad. Mm-mm-mm. This wine could never be bad. Okay, it's Target's best box wine. Um, so the judge releases Leland on his own recog- recognizance. Is that? Did I say mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And Ben leaves after the ruling is announced. Why was Ben there? Because Leland is Ben's lawyer. And oh, he just yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah. see, like, gotcha. his, and, you know, lawyer slash business partner slash yeah. rich guys do everything together. Okay, now we go over to Harold's house, which Harold is quickly becoming my least favorite character this go-around. He, I mean, he's not in it much longer. No, I know, so. but he just, like, he gives me, like, real Spoilers. nice guy vibes, like, of... I don't know what that means. Uh, like, guys who say, oh, I'm so nice and I can't have a girlfriend. Oh. Like, that kind of... Like I, I'm just surprised but he doesn't I call her like Milady. That, that tracks with him. Oh in yeah, his character, I'm not saying that it's not. It's a bad yeah. character development. I just yeah. do not like that what human. I, what I noted in this scene is this is like it's scored really well. Like this whole episode is really well done. I think Graham Clifford like it feels almost film noir like. Yeah, there's a lot of like 
deep shadows like donna gets into her whole like femme fatale thing later like the music it, this is one of the episodes that has i don't know if it's new music mm-hmm. or just rarely used music i don't recall but a lot of episodes are just like music cue music cue music cue use one of our two or three right primary like scores Find which one sounds best. Use that one. Right. This one actually feels like it's scoring a scene, and it's not one of the primary mm-hmm. used, primarily used musical scores. And yeah. it and it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Harold opens the door for Donna, who offers to share her life to be part of his living novel. What? And if he lets her read Laura's diary. Hey, Mikey, what's a living novel? Is that a real thing, or is that a it's, thing? In, like, it's it's him wanting to. Because he doesn't interact directly with people a lot, he wants to live. He feels like he's getting his living in vicariously through other people. Oh, so you, you know, tell me your stories, and I can feel like I'm living. So it's more I'm like an oral, an oral history of Twin Peaks. Yeah, is sort of what he's what he's doing. But um, like not of Twin Peaks, but of individuals in the town, or yeah. Um, Harold says that she can't read it, but he will read it to her. Um, but he won't let her take it out of the house. Um, so he pulls in, he shows off his secret shelf. Or does he Does he tell Donna not to look, or does he just straight up open his secret shelf in front of her? Because uh, she was sitting with her back know. to him, but I don't remember if there was, like, instruction of, like, now don't look at my secret shelf. Don't, don't recall. Because it's not a strong... She had already seen it anyway. Yeah. But I don't recall. I think I was looking something up at that point. Mm-hmm. Um... <clears throat> So he um, takes a notebook and the diary out of a secret shelf. When Donna asks him to tell him about himself, Harold says he grew up in Boston, then corrects himself and said he grew up in books. Donna says that dreams might be real, then playfully takes the diary outside. Harold follows her and then collapses. So, yeah, Donna is kind of showing her whole ass in this. Like, she is not... She's taken advantage of a emotionally disabled person. Yeah, but this also feels very. This is one of the a few moments where like, this feels like a dumb eighteen year old. Sure. Who like, oh, you can't go out. Like people, like someone just naive to mental illness and things like that. Sure. Of like, what? You can't go outside. That's dumb. It's just, and then realizing that like, oh shit, yeah, that might be actually a thing. I like, think it's just hard because they like you've said before they play everybody as an adult Mm -hmm. and so it's hard to also be like oh she like oh you can forgive actions because she's young which like isn't not true but like it's hard to reconcile it's just one of the things things that i feel like is one of the hindrances of television where a character is not molded in one person's vision. It's mm. a new director each time and a new, sure. oh, well, just remember this. Is, you're still a kid. And this right. is, whereas the person in the other episode is like, you're more adult than your age. Yeah, and yeah. You're, you know what I mean? Like, they, they don't, con- this director didn't consult with the last director, sure. probably, <laughs> outside of, you know, certain notes to, you know, or just watching the final product. Sure. It, it's things like that. And that's that's, I think, part of the reason I... For the most part, I'm not nearly as into television as I am into movies. Mm. Is I feel like I can those mixed 
<laughs> connections and mm-hmm. whatever are like visions. Yeah, are mm-hmm. tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, so he collapses, and then we go back to the roadhouse <clears throat> where the judge examines evidence against Leo. Uh, Leo's attorney is Jack Racine and argues that since Leo is brain dead, trying him would be a mockery. And I had to be reminded that he was, I I couldn't remember what he was on trial for. And they think he killed Laura Palmer, right? And that's what they want to hold him on trial for? Or he is still potentially a suspect in Laura, but the judge asks him later, like, do you even think he's in there? But he burned the mill. Duh. Yes, of course. And and was like also involved potentially in Laura. Whether or not he killed her, mm-hmm. he was involved. There's a potential rape charge. Mm-hmm. There's lots of outstanding investigations yeah. potentially. Which, yeah, generally, whatever, I'm not going to go into court procedure. But like it's usually don't bring somebody for trial and be like, well, here's some things we think he might like. Usually, they bring them up on very specific charges. Well, I like, don't this think I don't think on. the trial. Is, this is a preliminary trial to see if he's able Even to fit. stand trial. Yeah. Um. So, burp, burp, burp. which is why he's not even there. Right. right. You know what I mean? Well, and because he's a vegetable. Um. So the judge examines evidence against Leo. Leo's attorney. Oh, we did that already. District Attorney Daryl Ladwick. Uh, argues that they must proceed in order to give the town a sense of justice. The judge pulls Harry and Cooper aside to ask if they think Leo is guilty and the town, and if the town needs an immediate trial. The judge concludes that he will, le- he will deem Leo not competent to stand trial and recommend that he be sent home. Uh, Sternwood advises Cooper to keep his eyes on the woods. Yes, they're strange. Mm-hmm. All right. As they drink their... Um, I just forgot black. Oh, I looked it up because I wanted to see if black, it was a real recipe. I damn it! I just forgot black Yukon sucker punch. Yes, um, which apparently is not a real cocktail. However, somebody definitely also it's a moment it. like I've tried to keep an eye out for it because this is something we thought we talked about when we had our Twin Peaks season three premiere party of like, oh, let's make some signature drinks. This is one of the ones I thought of. And I was like, oh, what is Co- Cooper? You never see Cooper drink anything. This is one of the few moments where he gets a drink and he never, you never see, you see him lift it toward, towards his mouth and then they always cut away. Um, hmm. There's a scene later where he's in the roadhouse and there's a beer in front of him, but you never see him drink it. And I'm, I'm curious if it, if it's a acting choice of Cooper doesn't drink mm-hmm. or. They don't want to show the good, sure. good hero guy drinking. Mm-hmm. I've always been curious about that, but I don't. I don't think you ever actually see him consume alcohol. Interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Um, according to PunchDrink.com, uh, New York City bartender Maxwell Britton brought this cocktail to life with a mix of coffee bean-infused sweet vermouth, bourbon, and creme de cacao, all topped with blue-tinted whipped cream. Yeah, that's not what the drink is, but it, yeah. Yeah, it, I don't it, know. It I doesn't mean, look like whipped cream. It looks like like whipped egg whites or something. It just yeah, it looks it just looks frothy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually in like fancy cocktails. That's how they get the frothiness. Yeah. Um. All right. Anyway. But it looks like it looks like it's probably blue curacao and somehow. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um. 
All right, so we cut back to Big Ed and Nadine's house, which is, I am going to throw my hat over the wall and say, this is my least favorite subplot of season two. I find it... Disagree wholeheartedly, but all right. Oh, okay, I just remembered some other things. Yeah, okay, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Okay, so... B- and this also... Start, they, you also see that uh, porcelain porcelain figurehead that with the oh, uh-huh. painted-in eye, eye block, like, put brought out to the end of the thing and turned towards the camera again. Like, so. like they just keep moving yeah. that one joke yeah. around, like, oh, we have this, it's on the set. Oh, I love that. Move that to the camera. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't watch the episode previous right. where they used it, like, something... It's great. Um, so Big Ed and Nadine return home. Remember, Nadine was in a coma after taking sleeping pills or something. She took pill, in- indescribed pills, okay. but yeah. I Actually, I think they do say there were sleeping pills later. I think Doc Hayward. And then she up. woke up and thought she was an 18-year-old in high school. Yeah. So she they walk home. And James is there to greet him, greet them. And it's unclear. Also a good moment for James. He's yeah. He's pretty good. I, I was. Just like, what? <laughs> I, it was unclear to me. He did not know what was going on, did he? He did not. Okay. I feel like that's a thing maybe the guy should have really prepped does. him. <laughs> but if you, if you, if you're Big Ed and I'm a random like nephew living in your house and you're about to bring your wife home and like she is brain damage to the point that she doesn't know what year it is. Don't you think you would give the person in your house a heads up? I mean, if it's also a time when, like, he may have tried to call and James wasn't there then. You know what I mean? And, like, yeah. well, we had to go home. Like, yeah. you just, it's harder to get a hold of people. Sure. Specifically, so. Uh, so James greets them. Nadine asks who he is. Still convinced that she's in high school. Um, and yeah, I we think... Have, we have class. We didn't have any classes together. That's what right. I don't remember. Yeah. And somebody, is it James or Big Ed who suggests that they should send, him to, send her to Dr. Jacoby? Um, James, James says that to Big okay. Ed. We should, maybe she should see Dr. Jacoby. Yeah. And Ed says... Dr. Jacoby's in Hawaii recovered yeah. from his heart attack. And um, Doc Hayward said to just play along for now. Yeah, and then Nadine goes into the kitchen to get... Something out of the fridge. Something out of the fridge. Pulls the whole door off the roof. But first does the, like, starts walking back and goes, (gasps) Where's mom and dad? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And who we've already learned is very quick on his feet, Uh Big Ed, when uh, he's undercover. (laughs) Uh, Out of town. (laughs) Who are you? Who am I? You go to the high school. Well, yeah. Yeah, it took me a second. You're not in any of my classes. Why don't you sit down, honey? Let me get you a drink. Oh, no, I'll get it. Where are Mom and Dad? Oh, uh, out of town. Oh. Okay. Who nailed it! And she just goes... Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a good that is moment. A very I good lo- moment. I, but like I just love Ed being put on the spot. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same thing earlier of like when she uh, Blackie asks who he is when he's wearing the stupid wig and mm-hmm. the mustache undercover like he just like uh, is just th- I'm so far out of my element. Yeah. I don't know how to pretend shit. Like that's not me. Like yeah. it's great. So Nadine rips the door off the refrigerator. So not only does she think she's in high school, she has super strength. Yeah. 
All right. Now, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, here we go. Ben enters his office to be met by Mr. Tojim- Tajimura. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Accompanied by a valet. Um, right after being told he... Wait. Ben enters his office to be met by Mr. Tajimura, accompanied by a valet, right after being told that he was here by Louie. Ooh, that's a rough sentence, TwinPeaks.Fandom.com. Um, he makes a bigger offer, uh, Mr. Tajimura does, uh, makes a bigger offer for the Ghostwood Development Project. Five mil. And says that Tokyo Bank is ready to move immediately, and he gives Ben a check for... Five mil. There it is. Jumped your, <laughs> jumped your line again. <laughs> I didn't know I, I didn't know I had queued up lines. <laughs> uh, Hank walks uh, down the hall of the hotel. Bobby follow- This is a great scene. Bo- yeah, Bobby following him, avoiding eye shot. Mm. Um, Cooper follows playing with a duck call. Hank enters. Well, you see, you see Bobby walk through, mm-hmm. and you see, and in the distance, you see um, the convention that's in town of like. Oh, what was that one? People in like white robes and white turbans. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. It's just there's always something happening, right. which is just what I like. Um, so Cooper follows them, playing with a duck call. Hank enters Ben's office and watches him bow goodbye to the Japanese investors. Hank warns Ben that Cooper is on his way. Um, then the receptionist announces a call from Jean Ren- uh, Renault, asking if Ben is ready to play. Ben asks to talk to Aub- Audrey, and Jean says that can wait, and instructs Ben where to leave the money. Uh, ben shows Cooper the briefcase of money uh, in serialized denominations. Cooper tells Ben to stay near a phone and leaves. Ben instructs Hank to make sure Cooper and the money are delivered and to bring back Audrey. Yeah, and there's... Ben throws a note inside the briefcase. And I've tried to read it, and I don't know if it's just really bad cursive or it's not meant to be read Mm -hmm. because they were expecting this to be on TV and Mm. hard to... like. But whatever note it. he puts, they make an effort and they give it a close-up of him putting it in there, mm-hmm. closes the briefcase. It's so illegible. Whatever the note is and why, what note are you putting in there? Right. Fuck you guys. It's it's so weird. Yeah. Um, I don't remember saying that, but that also tracks with everything. Um, okay. So, Maddie and Donna examine a floor plan of Harold's home. What? Why would how would they get a floor plan? She of- drew it. It's it Donna Donna drew like a little map of like where the bookcase is okay. and where the greenhouse is, which could have easily it could have also like she gave her the map that mm-hmm. she drew, which could have also easily been explained as bookcase straight ahead, greenhouse to the right. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know. Why there's a map drawn is insane. To be fair, this entire plan is so, so bad. overwrought. So bad. Like, she's got time to get Harold out of the way so she can then go to the window and give a sign with a flashlight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then also has time to be in the greenhouse pointing at Maddie to be like, no, 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 it's on the side. It's a, all of that is, you could have done it's just so like literally ridiculous. wait for him to go to the bathroom, get and then the just diary, go grab it, shove it on your shirt. Yeah, and it's so ridiculous. It's very dumb. Or if you wanted to play it off like someone came in and stole it, just put it on, open the thing, put it on a table, 
and and then yeah. be like, come in and get it now. Yeah. Like I something like it's it just makes no sense, and it was a. It's shoehorning Maddie back into the episode. It's, yeah, it's it's a dumb way to try to get Maddie not only back into the episode but into that room mm-hmm. where they watch him go crazy. Yeah. Um, so Donna explains how to get Laura's diary, and she says she will signal with a flashlight when the coast is clear. Uh, we go back to One-Eyed Jacks, where Jean practices with a wrist blade. What, so what was his plan? Like, I know he was going to, like... I, I saw, so he had a wrist blade, like he's hold, holding a plate of strawberries. Mm-hmm. He says, when I do this, and he like, whatever, triggers it, and a blade shoots out and spears a strawberry. Mm-hmm. Was who was he going to plan on killing Ben? Or just whoever was delivering? <laughs> um, because they, Ben said on the phone, I'm sending my associate. They're trying to kill Cooper. That's right. So that's why, that's why when, at the end of that, that scene, when Ben is talking to Hank, he says... Also, you need to bring back Audrey. And Hank's like, I thought Cooper was bringing back Audrey. Cooper's not coming mm-hmm. back. Because he knows Jean is going to... That's why he wants Cooper. Ben knows Jean is planning to kill Cooper. Gotcha. Um, so um, he and Blackie eat the strawberries. Blackie asks questions about how to make the deal work. Nancy, uh, Blackie's sister, returns and Blackie leaves... Nancy says she's waited long enough for Blackie. I don't... What what happened in that scene? It Do I care about Nancy? foreshadowed that she has a knife in her boot. Ah. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. But it's also kind of a good little, like... It adds to that film noir, like... Mm-hmm. Very, it's like, sultry. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got the lacy pantyhose on or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, the stockings and, and whatever. Like... It's it's they're all, it's it's just very film noir-y. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it just it adds a stylized element. It slows the episode. A lot happens in this episode, mm-hmm. but it also feels like the episode doesn't move very quickly, which right. is which is a a really cool like the tandem of this episode. I think this is the only episode Graham Clifford directed. Mm-hmm. Um, Barry is. Pullman went on to write a few more episodes. This is his first, I think. Um, but for two people, a writer and a director tandem, to do an episode that doesn't have any of the regular players, the mm-hmm. Lynch, Frost, Robert Engels, Harley Payton, those kind of the, the big the big top guys, this is a really good episode that I feel like really, really, really matches the sensibility of what Lynch and Frost were going for with Twin Peaks. For it not to be, to not have direct involvement with those regular players, right? It's it's surprisingly good on that sense, but I think it also has kind of a different aesthetic, a mm-hmm. little bit of like being. It's a little bit like yeah, it's heist, like it's almost its own mini movie. Yeah, and it's dark, but in a different way that yeah that it usually is. Sorry if you can hear that. That's our dog. Um, she's protecting us from like I don't know a squirrel. So we go back to the station house where we discover who um, Lucy's replacement is for the day, and it is Andy Brennan. Andy Brenner. Brennan. Um, Brennan. Damn it! I, you know, I'm always thinking of Yule Brenner as the problem. Uh, just always const- thinking. Just, just constantly. Just yeah, have a general Yule Brenner on my mind kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, don't we all? Really? Yeah, I mean, really? who among us? Uh, great in the King and I. He calls for. So he's. 
cover his whole body and the desk and the office are covered in post-its, which is cute. Um, and then he's calling for the results of his semen analysis test and he keeps trying to whisper to the nurse and she's like, I can't hear it. Like, you can hear her over the yeah. phone. I do. I don't think I'd ever noticed this before, but you can hear what she's saying over the phone yeah. faintly. Mm-hmm. But it's just her being like, are you, do you understand? Like, just talking to him like he's an idiot, which is well, cause, And he's talking so slowly. And she's like, I need, what I need is your name. Yeah. Like, like stop. Like, yeah. Only go... Spermia. That's right. That sounds terrible. I have that. No, sir, you had that. Oh, I had it. Uh-huh. Too few sperms. Very good, sir. You mean I'm cured? Doc says there are not just three men on a fishing trip. They're a whole damn town. Yeah, I know what that means. It means they're not really real people. They're a... Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm a whole damn town! I'm a whole damn town! He finds that his sperm count is back up to normal, and he proudly declares that he is a... It's, the doctor said you, you're not just three men on a rowboat anymore... You're it's a whole you're like a whole down whole damn town. Do you understand what that means? Like totally like Yeah. Just treating him like a four year old. It's well, great. That's fine. Um so he proudly declares to is it Harry that he's a whole damn town? Well he says it to himself out loud. Mm-hmm. And then Harry walks by. He says, I'm a whole damn town. Mm-hmm. Woo! And like <laughs> Harry walks by and he looks at him and says, I'm a whole damn town. And Harry's just like Mm-hmm. Cool as usual. Like, doesn't say anything, but just like, cool, man. <laughs> Congrats. Good for you. <laughs> like, I was hope that's what I, good for you. You seem to enjoy it, so I'm all right with it. It's great. It's just a great. I, it's those moments that like, they're so understated, but just make me love hair. Like, the more I watch this show, the more I love hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Um, So, Harry and Cooper examine a floor plan of One-Eyed Jack's. Um, Hawk reports this that, one being a real floor plan, yeah. not drawn by Donna with a, a <laughs> like, bookshelf and a greenhouse. Yeah. Um, Hawk reports that no one has seen the one-eyed man at the at his hotel in two days. Um, Did you say the one-eyed man? I might have. <laughs> Hawk reports that no one has seen <laughs> one the one-armed armed man. man. Yeah, no. uh, the one-eyed man and one-armed jacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he found the same drug, don't know what that means, and describes sa- that strange the, smell. The when he was selling him shoes and he left to go to the bathroom, and they found the needle full of drugs, uh-huh. whatever drugs that was. Where he says the uh, without chemicals, he points that whole thing. Um, they found more of that same medication that they found that day. In the bathroom they found at his hotel room. Cool. Um, so he, uh, Hawk leaves and Cooper and Harry begin to plan their also, approach. Also a great scene too if you watch Hawk's reaction to it. And then the way, there's a, there's an exchange in there where, I don't remember exactly what he says, but at the end of the scene, Hawk, because when Hawk walks in, they flip over the map. 
they're trying to hide their little mission because it's a secret Bookhouse Boys mission. But Truman gives Hawk a look at the end of that scene. And he's like, well, all right, well, whatever he says. And I'll have to look that up. Maybe we have the audio or whatever. One armed man is staying in the Robins Nest Motel on Highway 9. Nobody's seen him for at least a day, day and a half. The room looks lived in. I found this. Same drug as last time. Weird, deep smell. We're still waiting on Albert's analysis. Good work, Hawk. Hawk, see you in the morning. But he gives him a look like... What's up? This isn't a secret. Yeah. What we're doing, we're playing secret. Uh-huh. Have my back. Yeah. Have my back. I you I, mean, I can't tell you what's going on. Uh-huh. But know that I need you to have Shit's my back about to pop in, off. inexplicably. Yeah. And it makes it's this it's this moment that makes that payoff later in the episode or mm-hmm. makes that moment in the episode later a a real payoff and not just a cop out. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Um, so we go back to Andy at the desk, um, and he needs to call Lucy for some reason. I don't know why, though. Why he decides he needs to call her all of a sudden. Oh, to, find, to let her know that she, he's a whole damn Because he might be the dad. Yeah. It, he's, yeah. Um, and it turns out the number she left is for an abortion clinic, which is a wild thing for her to do. Yeah. I, I don't, like, I get the bit and what they were trying to do, but she, it's not like she would have... I mean, I guess if there was a genuine emergency that they needed Lucy for, like, this yeah, is where she'll be. She's supposed to be gone for two days. Like, yeah, it's it's a bit of a stretch, but yeah, I get it. Whatever. You have to reveal it. Yeah. Um, it's not as bad as some other ones. Right. OK, Matt. So we go back to uh, the double R. Maddie orders a cup of coffee to go. Uh, James asks why. And, and James Maddie leaves. just is a typical bastard in this scene he's just, such a dick she's like, just like why why are you getting coffee oh and then she's like playing i'm getting like, for my dad oh, this, or is, for this is for leland uncle leland you don't oh you don't have coffee at home like what the fuck dude like yeah. she can't just come in and buy a coffee because maybe they like double our coffee right like it who, who yeah, the no. fuck are you and it, especially it's funny because this is like 1990 or 1991 but like Imagine in 2020, somebody, like, you going out to get coffee and somebody like, how come you're going out for coffee? You don't have coffee no at home? No coffee in your house? What the fuck? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, um, Maddie watches Harold's house through the bushes. Donna is inside, giving Harold a memory. Um, she and Laura were 13, wearing tight, short skirts to go yeah. to the roadhouse. This all yucked me out. Yeah, but it's a really complex scene. Like, yes, that is... First and foremost, at the front of it all, that she's 13, maybe 14, and talking about 20-year-old dudes. Who, yeah. But, it, like, her delivery of it, it's, it's, it's a really well-acted I get the weird perversion of Harold in this scene. Mm. Like, it's, it's, it's a really revealing scene. It's mm-hmm. lit really well. It's a, a lot of the shots of her monologue are a little bit out of focus, but beside that, like, it's... It's a really intriguing scene. Yeah. And it and it and it feels to me like somebody honestly lying to themselves. Mm. Of like 
oh, I was, this is the first time I was in love, I think. No, you fucking weren't. Yeah. And you know you weren't, but like, so let's, you, you're playing along with the like societal lie of, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I find it really intriguing. So let's go through her actual story. Yeah. Um, so they go to the roadhouse, uh, she and, she and uh, Laura. Um, they met some men, Josh, Rick, and Tim, who were about 20. The girls left with Rick to party. Laura started dancing and moving her hips. Uh, Donna suggested skinny dipping, um, and Laura kissed Jock, excuse me, Josh and Rick. Um, so Donna took her clothes off. Uh, sw- went swimming. Tim joined her, kissed her. She said she never saw Tim, Tim again, but she said it was the first time she fell in love. You hear it's what's interesting about this scene too is, and maybe that's part of the layered complexity that I find interesting is this whole story is told in the secret history or the sorry secret the diary. secret diary of Laura Palmer book from Laura's perspective. And so it's interesting watching the two stories over oh, sure. that from two character point of views. And it's it's really interesting. And it's the way Laura tells the story is very different from the way Donna tells the story. And it's that's intriguing. Cool. Um, okay, so then we go back to One-Eyed Jacks. Um, <laughs> Mikey likes this scene. So Cooper and Harry creep toward One-Eyed Jacks. A guard smokes outside. Um, Cooper looks up and an owl, an owl is staring and hooting. Um, Harry incapacitates the guard, we think, just by grabbing his junk. From what I can tell, it looks like he walks up with his right hand and just full-on grabs his junk. And then when the guy... Squeezes, and then the guy opens his mouth, he shoves a racquetball in there, and then pastes it over over with duct tape. Like, I... I mean, it's possible he, like punched him in the gut but he doesn't but it looks like he holds he holds him. a yeah. position so he's straight up just grabbing his junk yeah. like and like it feels like he's probably tugging or something oh, or like okay. something to be like don't move oh you know what i mean like yeah. if you try to pull away uh-huh. you yeah. are going to hurt yourself yeah it's it's a bizarre thing to be in it but like incredibly productive oh yeah for what you're trying to do this is exactly the appropriate measure and i almost wonder if this is some type of like swap team methodology or something (laughs) that like i don't know about but is fully legit like it's it's crazy it's crazy um so uh cooper and harry walk inside um the tools lie about oh tools lie about the hallway and the officers search for the right room. Uh, Harry sees the back of Jean and Bo- I don't know what they that came, They came in on a wing of the thing that was under construction for future Tibetan baths. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was it Tibetan baths? Yeah, that's what they said, which I don't it's know that a that's thing. a thing. But, um, but like on the stairs that they come down, there's like a power saw and some things like that. Um, that doesn't play. So I don't know why they made an effort to like mention that, but Tibetan baths are not a thing. Unless you mean sound baths, which maybe, but I don't think they would need that much construction for that. Yeah. Um, so Harry sees the backs of Jean, Jean and Blackie while uh, the surveillance tape is paused on a television. Blackie asks Jean why he likes Nancy better. I don't Does that consequential? Consequential? Uh, 
I mean, presumably it explains why Jean kills Blackie. Oh, yeah. But it, this all felt... Sh- we don't know what to do with Blackie anymore. We got to get rid of her. Yeah. That, like, as a show, not mm-hmm. as a character. And so it felt like this was a little bit shoehorned. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what he ends up using his secret wrist knife. Gotcha. On Blackie. Um, Maddie, we cut back to Maddie, who continues to watch, through, watch Harold's house through the bushes. Harold is telling Donna about raising flowers. And three sepals and three petals. The bottom petal, shaped like a lower lip, is called a labellum. So delicate. Well, it's a a landing platform, really, for pollinating insects. Romantic, isn't it? And they have a really subtle conversation about the petals of flowers. And explain this to me, I I don't understand what it... What do you mean subtle? Like they were talking about the flower, right? That's all yeah, I yeah. When imagine. I say subtle, no. I mean they weren't saying like this is a petal. They were like, mm. Mm, this is a part of oh. flowers. I have you it ever heard felt of like pa- a missed opportunity? Have you ever heard of the painter Georgia O'Keeffe? Yes, of course. Um, who famously paints flowers? Flowers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All yeah, right. Just regular flowers. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Asked and answered. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the thing is, they could have used this scene to be. Like a subtle hint at sexuality and stuff like that. They should have done that. Oh man, you're right. That is a I, real missed opportunity. Yeah, that's too bad. I'm curious if this bit works in audio. It's hard to <laughs> also, say. Also, I'm curious if this bit works at all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, incredibly overwrought. Yeah. Very forced. Hmm. Yeah, and they're like gently touching the the orchid in a oh, really creepy God, I way. Hated it. Uh, he leaves. Donna signals through the light, the window with the flashlight. Um, now we're cutting. Also, back. that was her whole plan. It's like, don't worry about it. I'll get him to leave. And then he just left. They get really close in that scene. Uh huh. And then he's like, "I have to go." Where is Where? he? Go- is he for how long? Is he like? Is he going to rub one out? <gasps> Oh, what does he do? No. It? What is what does he do? And what was like Maybe that? She was so confident that she could get him to go somewhere. What? What? Maybe what she, happens there? Maybe she slipped him something in his drink to make him have to poop. No, there's very very few mm? things that work that quickly. Mm? No, mm? it's it's absurd. This it's it, stupid. Yeah. Um, okay, back to what I jacks. Cooper continues through the hallway. He finds Nancy, uh, forces to forces her to take him to Audrey. Nancy pulls a life. In a great move, too. Mm-hmm. She looks, can I help you? Like, I'll, <laughs> who the hell are you? Yeah. And he puts out his hand like, oh, hi, I'm hoping you can. And then he like, pulls her in. Twist a roof. Yeah. That's great. That's another great move. Yeah. Um... So Nancy pulls a knife, but Cooper anticipates this and overpowers her. He, he sees her in the mirror. Oh, that's right. So she does bring him into Audrey's room. Mm-hmm. And as he's like over her bed, Blackie, or excuse me, Nancy is sneaking around to like try to attack Cooper, but she does it in front of a full length mirror. Yeah. Um, so she. Um, yeah, she pulls it back over her head. He, put, he grabs her by the wrist. Yeah. Punches her in the stomach, throws her against the wall, uses the knife to cut Audrey free, flings her over 
Oh my god! Over like his shoulder, and now. like, but in a like, Cooper's not a big guy. Like no. Audrey's pretty small, but like, no, I was actually I, when we met him, does, I remember being surprised by how short he was, which I think everybody is all the time with actors. He does it so effortlessly. Do you think you could fling me over your shoulder? I, I mean. Especially for someone who was shot three days ago. I was going to say, ago. especially with dead weight. Like I've definitely yeah. been like flung over my fair share of shoulders in my day, yeah. but it's and usually you, like you kind of yeah, yeah. You use your arm, you prop yourself up on their shoulders. He does it so easily. Yeah, it's it's how, bizarre. How, how, oh, he's six feet tall. Yeah, oh. I didn't I didn't think he was that short, but I just feel like I looked at the picture of us and he seemed to be. He's probably squatting. It's probably like these fucking shorties. What? I don't, I don't know. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. Um, Jean kisses Blackie and then kills her with the wrist blade. Um, then sees Harry watching through the window and fires at him before fleeing. Cooper and Audrey reunite with Harry. And reunite is strong. Like, Audrey is... Yeah comatose mm-hmm. like a sack of fucking potatoes over his shoulder which is that's so uncomfortable for like a human person to be over somebody's shoulder because you're carrying all your weight like yeah. on your stomach um so they are uh, confronted by a bodyguard i mean if you gun. do it right he sh- her sh- hips should be on his shoulder either way like you're getting a shoulder yeah. into like either your yeah. uterus or your stomach neither which is ideal necessarily um so uh, a knife is suddenly thrown into the bodyguard's back. Okay. Okay. So yeah, they there's no drama in, in that sentence. Um, so they, yeah, so they run on guy bodyguards coming down the street. This when I was younger, when I first watched this show, when I was thirteen or whatever, and the show was on and live, I loved this episode. Mm-hmm. This was my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. I loved. And I always just called it the Audrey Horn Rescue or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this scene being because at thirteen, like yes, this is very, this is a very common trope of like up against a wall. It's Deus Ex Machina. Yes, yeah, someone saves the day from off camera. Right. I wasn't prepared for that yet. Sure. I hadn't been you you know, a jaded man yeah, of the world. Well, yeah, I now. haven't seen it used a gajillion times. I loved this because I remember being like, oh no. <laughs> Their like, goose is really cooked this time. Yeah, I, I, do, what's gonna? Ha- oh my god! And being so nervous, and then hearing the thud, mm-hmm. guy falls forward with the knife, and then Hawk comes a couple of steps down. Good thing you guys can't keep a secret. And being like, Hawk is the best thing that's ever been, <laughs> and I immediately fell in love with Hawk. Yeah. Like he, from then on, was like my favorite character in the show. Did you tell him that story? I did. Okay. We met him. So when we went to the 2018 Twin Peaks Fest Mm -hmm. and Michael Horse was there, the guy who plays Hawk. And I was like, what do I say to this guy? Yeah. And and that's the story I told. I was like, I remember watching the show when I was 13 years old, the scene where you saved the day on the Audrey escape, whatever. And I remember being, this guy's my favorite character. Anything he does from here on out uh-huh. is the best thing in the world because I love this guy. Yeah. And he's always just been the coolest. And I think in season three, he's just as cool. Super dope in season like three. he's, he's a great character. And I, this was just the moment that I 
loved it. And I like I like that scene. It seems like it doesn't seem like that important of a scene. Like people talk about like if you five images from Twin Peaks or, you know, or whatever. If you if someone says that you think of, you know, the first Red Room sequence, you you picture her wrapped in plastic, Laura wrapped in plastic, this shot Mm -hmm. of him crouched down under the the lip and like the guys on the thing. You see the night, the tomahawk Mm -hmm. knife or not tomahawk, but the giant knife blade sticking out of the guy's back is so ingrained. And like the staging of all of it, of Hawk up top of the Mm -hmm. stairs, the guy, the bodyguard guy dead center on the bottom with the knife, Cooper on the right of the frame with Audrey over the shoulder and Truman on the left, just like this perfect little like triangle Mm -hmm. tableau I love this image because for this, this was the moment I think where I was like, this show's awesome. <laughs> it became action-y for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a little bit like, and it was, it was storylines that I could understand. Sure. I was, it was. You understood the goal is rescuing yeah, Audrey. Go get Audrey. You got to save if someone attacks you with a knife, you take that person out. Then you grab mm-hmm. the girl and it's you like start to, yeah. I mean, it made sense to me and. I forgot about Hawk, and then he saves the day, and it was the coolest thing for me, and yeah. I loved it. So this is this image is a very powerful image to me in the in the you know context well, of Twin Peaks. And I'm realizing, I'm kind of thinking back to all of the sort of subplots that weave themselves through this uh, through this show, and this one really requires very like if you're a 12, 13 year old kid, it requires very little understanding to be enjoyable because i feel mm-hmm. like twin peaks can get very bogged down and there's everybody's playing somebody yes. else and yeah and if you're sure. a kid it's like a sure. hard enough time with it as an adult but yeah. this was so straightforward like we're going to this place we know she's trapped she's these, tied up yeah these are the bad guys yeah. these are the good guys mm-hmm. and we go in we get her out it, it's it's very digestible for especially for somebody yeah. who doesn't necessarily have a lot of nuance when it comes to storytelling mm-hmm. um so he says, can't keep a secret, uh, and the four flee. Uh, Hank calls Ben to report that the officers are leaving with Audrey, just as Jean puts a knife to his neck. Jean finds the prosecutor's ID in Hank's pocket and believes it to be his. Oh, yeah. I couldn't understand. I was really confused by that. Yeah, he's, so in the that's last the episode. he stole from yeah. Ludwig. Okay, Donna tries to silently instruct Maddie to access the secret compartment. It wasn't silent in our basement because Mikey was yelling at the TV about it. (laughs) Um, While Harold gives her an orchid, um, Maddie finds a secret compartment, but the shelf crashes to the floor. Harold sees Maddie and grabs a sharp gardening rake is what they call it. We've spent a long, far too long, <laughs> trying to determine what the actual name of this tool is. I I found it before. Gardening Gar- fork, gardening rake, gardening, whatever. It's like a aerator or something like that. That's not what it is. Garden fork, a spading fork, a digging fork. It's the like three prong claw thing. Yeah. That you use for small gardening. Yeah, small gardening. <laughs> Well, it's not like like a big tractor right. thing or something, but um, okay. Also, one of cultivator is what okay. Home Depot calls it. Dramat, but dramatic use of Dutch angles in your oh, lots of Dutch angles here, and one of the worst practical effects. 
you'll ever see. Oof a doof. Okay, let's get through this paragraph, then we can break it down. Um, uh, Harold sees Maddie and grabs a sharp gardening rake. He corners the girls and tells them that Laura knew the ultimate secret, the secret of who killed her. He cuts his face with the rake and Agni as Donna and Maddie cower in fear. Now, what the fuck is going on here? Why is he... So are we just to understand he's generically bonkers and that's why he kind of goes off? I think I think you and I are a little jaded with knowing who killed Laura Palmer at this point. I think, oh, I think they're setting him up as he's now a potential suspect because Laura knew who killed her. Oh, look at me. I'm crazy. Yeah. Wait a second. Should we be considering this guy as a suspect? Okay. All right. That's absolutely I think, completely fair. I think that's what they're trying to do a little bit of. Mm-hmm. At the same time, also making him just seem bonkers. Mm-hmm. And just adding yeah. some level of drama. I don't know that there's anything. But in hindsight, with knowing what happens, I think he's just a he he felt like his only purpose of living was because he knew Laura's story mm. in a way nobody else did and mm-hmm. friends family and everybody mm-hmm. so he is if it starts getting out he he has no other importance sure his existence doesn't matter mm-hmm. because Oh, now Maddie knows her story, and now Donna knows her story, and now you're betraying me to steal her story. What purpose do I serve anymore? And that's kind of the vibe I got. It's just it's just a broken, broken person. Sure. Um, and then do you want to talk about the cool special effects? The cool practical effect? Oh, I mean, it. it so he looks like he's clawing his face, but like, Clearly, just the ends of the the three ends of the prongs are already dipped in fake blood. Mm-hmm. So when he drags it across his face, it just streaks the fake blood. But he bumps his face a little bit before he cuts it, and like dabs a little blood on it mm. for like four or five seconds before he does this the, the yeah. rake of his face. Like it also it doesn't hold up in HD at all. Yeah, because it looks like somebody spread some paint on their face. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty bad yeah um and that is the end yeah, of the episode but that's the last scene so, i but yeah overall i think this episode is cool it's intriguing mm-hmm. even even when you're setting up some of the dumb storylines you know well, mating, they, they kind of stuff like that like they the stuff that we don't like that much like yeah. they don't spend a lot of time dwelling on and nadine even, even the stuff that i, I i'm not super into like yeah, the the scene between like James and Maddie mm-hmm. in the diner is like, get, yeah, let get yeah 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 get this get this. I don't mind that like Donna's monologue is really long. I just I find it complex, especially if you've read The Secret Diary. Yeah, like there's just some intri- this episode is intriguing, or like a fucking action movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you think that Donna is trying to seduce Harold when she tells that story? 
because she stands up and she does the dances and she moves her hips and she pulls on her sweater when she says he takes off she takes off her shirt like I'm trying I feel like sometimes the motivations of Donna like obviously her a number one motivation is finding out who killed Laura Palmer but is like it? I mean that's what her her driver is right like no matter what like the reason she got involved with Harold is because yeah. she wants to find out no yeah I mean it's she's she's just not a well thought out character yeah that's yeah that's kind of and it's it's she's she gets really muddy her motivations and whatever get really muddy and because it feels like at the beginning of the series that she had no idea that or did she or am I remembering wrong that she didn't realize that Laura was into like deep shit I I think there's a little bit of she knew something but didn't know any of the details. She played naive. Mm. And, oh, I don't really know. Sure. Um, okay, go ahead. I just think Donna, Donna, all of the, Donna and all of the other high school kids are difficult characters. So the way the show started, we don't know Laura. We've never met Laura. Laura is introduced as a dead body. Mm -hmm. So in order to explain who Laura was, you get fragments of her life from all of her friends. Mm -hmm. Her, you know, Bobby and James, Donna, to some extent Audrey. But all of the other high school kids were, were, were there to serve the purpose of explaining who Laura was indirectly. Right. So... Once that happened and we got a sense of who Laura was, we don't know what to do with these kids anymore. Mm -hmm. They found a way to get Bobby taken care of a little bit. He was with Shelly, and then they kind of have their own whole thing going on. Validity of that storyline and how good it is or whatever, right. arguable. But, but it's something. And they're but, both so good looking that you're willing to watch them do whatever. <laughs> right. But it's, 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 a, it's a tangential storyline. So it, it doesn't serve the greater who killed Laura Palmer mystery. Right. They still have yet, like, they tried to do something with this Herald line, but then brought it back to, instead of just, like, getting her infatuated with Harold and what's going on there, and maybe she'll learn about Laura, she decides to play Nancy Drew again. Right. Which didn't work. So I don't know why they're going back to it. And... I mean, what... I think that's their only well. Exactly. And that's... Like, aside from bringing in more characters, which gives you more right. shit to spin off. And they can't just get rid of them because I'm sure they're contracted mm -hmm. to, you know, X number of episodes or whatever. But I think that's the problem with Donna is mm -hmm. the same as James. They just... Donna, you know, Lara Flynn Boyle is a better actor than James. Right. And so the stuff that she's in is better than some of the stuff James is in. Yeah. Um, but it's still just, yeah, it's, it's a struggle, which is, you know, there's, there's always the, the Twin Peaks fandom debate of who's the better Donna, Lara from Boyle or, um, uh, Maura Kelly, Kelly, who plays her in the fire walk with me movie. Mm -hmm. But, Lara from Boyle might be a, better 
actress in the original pilot, but like the character is fucking defined in Firewalk with yeah. me. Yeah. Like she's got purpose and goals and objectives mm-hmm. and evolution and it's just a much more thought out character top to bottom in the movie. Right. Um, so it isn't about performance at that point. It's just the words are on the page that give her that information. Right. And it's, right. I don't know. Anyway, for, for the record, I'm a Maura Kelly Donna person. So and The record reflects that. Thank yeah, you. You can fight me or whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that wraps it up. We will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>